But I remember seeing that uh, video and I thought, oh, man, that's a that's a great voice uh, on this guy. And the music was much more organic, you know, and it's more down my alley. And uh, and then I, I can't remember when I did, but I realized that, oh, God, this is the guy that did Snake Charmer, because um, I think I found a single. I think that's what it was. I found a 45 of Snake Charmer and it had John Hyatt's name. on it. I said, well, I'll be damned. No wonder I liked it. Um, and and so I went to find I went to look for the album Slow Turning uh, on cassette, of course, because it was the 80s. And uh, I found Bring the Family. They didn't have Slow Turning at my local store. So I got uh, Bring the Family. And I said, well, this is this guy. And I saw the band was uh, Ry Cooter, Nick Lowe, Jim Keltner, all these names I knew. And I love Ry Cooter. So uh, I bought it and, and it just, you know, I never looked back uh, after that. It was it was astonishing to me. Welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, but um, tonight we are getting off the ju- of Bruce Springsteen train, though there is a Bruce Springsteen story that I'm going to ask my guests to tell, uh, that, uh, but we are, uh, we, are, uh, we are going to Memphis in the meantime. Uh, slow turning. Uh, we are talking John Hyatt tonight. And as my regular listeners have known, I've done a couple of episodes based on John's music. I've had people join me to talk about it. And tonight, Michael Elliott, who has written a biography of the man himself, is joining me. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's nice to be here, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, so before we get to the book, I always like to start at the beginning. So talk about where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to? Uh, well, you know, the in the introduction of my book, I talk about that, which is kind of probably uh, a little um, out of character for most biographies. Uh, yeah. I started with a, a little autobiography, but I just wanted to give a background, a little context about where I'm coming from. Uh, yeah. I grew up in, in Oxford, North Carolina, which is... Okay. Uh, probably about 40 miles north of Raleigh, uh, the capital city. And so uh, it was a rural area, rural county. Um, I grew up in, in town, but, you know, we, we were a very small town. Uh, and I helped my grandparents out. Uh, they were dairy farmers and, and, and uh, educators, too. But my other uh, grandparents were uh, tobacco farmers. And so I uh, worked in the tobacco field some. Uh, so I have that background and, as well, um, but grew up around music because everybody in my family loved music. Uh, my, my grandmother was a big country music fan. Um, Charlie Pride, uh, everybody from Webb Pierce on, on you know, way back uh, to uh, Hank Williams. And then my uh, my my grandparents, uh, um, paternal grandparents were more into jazz and classical music opera things like that and and then my 
father was a huge R&B soul fan. Uh, we're talking back in the days of Atlantic and Stax and uh, Soul and Motown and things like that. And, and uh, my mother uh, was a huge rock and roll fan, Chuck Berry, uh, all that type of stuff. And, and, and Credence was her favorite band uh, uh, in, the, in the late 60s when they came out. She was a big, big fan of them. Uh, and my dad also liked the uh, Little Richard and, and all that stuff. So I grew up with all that around me. And then I had an uncle that lived with us who was 10 years my senior. So he was more like an older brother. And he, he had all the Led Zeppelins and Ted Nugent's and uh, Fog Hat and all that stuff. So uh, I grew up with immersed in all this stuff. Uh, and then when I got old enough to like start finding my own music, uh, I believe Kiss was my first band that I was infatuated with when I was about five or six years old. That's a, <laughs> uh, but after that, I, I, I discovered Willie Nelson around uh, 10 years old. For some reason, I just got into him really big and then uh, discovered Robert Johnson at the library. Uh, you know, most people probably heard him through Eric Clapton and thing, but, but I heard him just at the, uh, at, the, at the Richard H. Thornton Library in Oxford. You could check out records. And so I did. And, and I checked out the King of the Delta Blues Singers because it's such a cool looking, creepy cover uh album cover and i took it home and it, it just blew my mind and from there i just became immersed in the blues but i'm i also got into springsteen during that same time i was about 12 13 years old you know and yeah uh, and, and right almost at the time that um my, my local station wqdr who's now country but back then they were rock they would play springsteen this is before born in the usa and and I remember, I think I remember the first thing I heard from him was uh, either Badlands or something in that area. Uh, I know Spirit in the Night caught my attention, but I thought for a long time when I heard him on the radio, I thought Spirit in the Night was Van Morrison. You know? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's funny. That's great. It, it was very, yeah. it had a moon dance feel, you know. And, yeah. Um, but then I got into, you know, I was, I was way into Springsteen, Cadillac Ranch, all that stuff. It was the, the river basically was out when I was in, getting into him. Uh, and so, yeah, I've been a huge Springsteen fan my entire life since then. Well, so good. Well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, that is great. That we're getting to the I, I do have to say, though, um, I have heard a lot of diverse uh, music because, uh, you know, every guest I ask that question and and there. But I think you check all quadrants more than anyone else ever has. I mean, you know, <laughs> but with the diversity of your grandparents and your parents, I mean, you got a wide palette of music. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, I was born in 59. Uh, my grandparents owned a dairy farm in Rose Pine, Louisiana. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, I remember grandpa having to take a nap every day and you had to be <laughs> quiet because, you know, he had to get up at old arc 30 to go milk the cows. Um, and I, you know, when I was 11 or 12, you know, I started in the afternoon, I, I helped him milk cows, you know, I put in feed and, you know, did all this. And so, and there was always a radio playing, you know, partly to, calm the cows and partly because he just loved music um, but um but my grandparents and parents were definitely you know all both kinds of music country and western right so you know to use the blood of you know blues brothers line yeah. um same thing hank williams and merle haggard and Charlie Pride and, you know, all these different, you know, Roy Clark, you know, hee-haw and the Johnny Cash show was mandatory viewing for us, 
you know, right. to see. So absolutely. Um, the, can you, I, I asked this and I had, not, I didn't put you that on the agenda, but now that you've told me, you mentioned f- hearing Bruce, can you articulate what about him spoke to you? Oh, um, I think it was, I think it was the fact that he, when I first heard him, I was into, um, uh, I was just discovering all kinds of, of rock and roll that I had and, and, and country from my parents and, and uncle and yeah. other, but this was when I was on a journey of self-discovery and I was okay. never one of those people who, who, who dismissed my parents, uh, right. or grandparents stuff because it was theirs. You know, I, I as a matter of fact, it, I valued it because I, I, I respected, uh, that stuff. I would read the liner notes and, 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 and just absorb myself in that. Yeah. And I think the, the, the thing I like about him was his lyrics, uh, which, which ultimately brought me now I'm putting two and two together here, talking to you for the first time. I think, um, it brought me to John Hyatt because it made me between Bruce, and Dylan, I got into Dylan around that same time when Infidels had just come out. And um, of course, I knew of him from uh, Blowing in the Wind and all that stuff. But this was the first new Dylan I really got into, you know, and, and, and uh, on MTV, they had the Sweetheart Like You video on. And so uh, I was like, this guy's lyrics are amazing. You know, uh, still a little and they put you in jail, still a lot and they make you king, you know, and and um and 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 coupled that with with Springsteen, I really started Springsteen and Dylan. I can't remember which one first, but those are the ones that really made me start listening to lyrics and rock songs. Before that, I was a big lyric fan with Willie Nelson. He was a great writer, and and I always thought of growing up with grandmother that country music had the stories, and rock and roll just had the the, the party and then the groove and and the fun. Um, but Springsteen made me realize that it could be literate as well, and of course Dylan. Um, those two artists really made me feel like, okay, there's, there's something to say in this music too. And, uh, and, and when Hyatt, uh, when I discovered him a little later, uh, I said, okay, well this, there is, here's another one that does the same thing, you know, uh, Mellencamp, not so much, he was in that ballpark as well. Uh, but he just didn't ring my bell like these other guys did, uh, oddly enough, even though I love uh, Kenny Arnoff, uh, his drumming is amazing. And, and yeah. uh, I remember the Scarecrow album. I, I, and he, I love Mellencamp because he had that kind of stonesy vibe. So I like right. him musically more than lyrically, probably. But uh, yeah, and I, I like um, Bruce and his, you know, putting out a, they just put out a song, Wasted day, Days, you know, right now that uh, Wasted Time, I guess. And it really, you one, you wonder why it took them so long to perform together. And two, they really sound good together. I mean, you know, they, they do. They do. And and I was very pleased with the outcome of that. And, and I, yeah, what took them so long. And I, and I also, I saw where David Wilde on Twitter had put, uh, he he was, he put out exactly what I was thinking before I could say it. He said, uh, I I know Bob Seger somewhere going like, man, why wasn't I invited? (laughs) Oh, great point. Yeah. Um, So, Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. 
Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You tell me which way to go first, because I want to go both places. Do you want to talk about why have you always wanted to be a writer and talk about that or how you discovered John Hyatt first? You, you know, guest prerogative. Which well, one do you think is the eat chicken or the egg, right? Yeah, well, I think I think I'll go with the writing because I got, uh, oddly enough and funnily enough, I got a, uh, uh, a journalism badge in uh, okay. sixth grade, you know. Oh, nice. <laughs> um that's and then it was from then it was set right (laughs) (laughs) well i i left i just i would just write i remember uh maybe i should post them at some point but i have some old uh books uh i would write in notebooks i would write things in and draw i would also be my own illustrator I, i one of the first books i wrote uh quote unquote was uh uh willie nelson the story of willie nelson and um I drew pictures of him and throughout and, and <laughs> it is ridiculous. That's probably 12 years old, maybe 11 if that, but uh, so I've always loved writing and, but I'm a voracious reader. I, I, and I, and it came from the liner notes, you know um, it came from reading liner notes on the backs of album covers from Dylan and uh, Miles Davis, you know, everybody. Uh, and, and I learned how to, speak the language of of the uh of the music critic i guess because i i love reading uh grill marcus and peter Garalnik and, and lester bangs it's the same thing that happened with me in radio i i got into radio because i loved hearing the djs talk and i just wanted to talk like them and i got turned on the radio and start talking like them you know turn on microphone um 
so that was it's not mimicking so much as just being inspired by them and that's what i just i would always write little reviews if nobody would read them but me and and uh and just like I would make mixtapes for myself, you know, <laughs> yeah. when, uh, when I was a kid and uh, holding it up, holding the little cassette player up to the radio speaker and, and making and, and recording off the radio. Um, and, and so all that stuff I was immersed in. So it was always music. It was always listening or writing about it. And but I didn't do anything. I never got paid a dime for writing. I would just when the Internet came along, I joined this group called Progressive Ears um dot com that they would write about uh progressive rock and things like that and it was a it was just a, a group it was a forum and so we'd get on there and discuss and argue about groups and i would add um record reviews to their little review section and 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 i got some good feedback on that and i thought well that's that's cool and then from there you know i when i left radio in 2013 i went into uh, other line of work communications and I, I remember doing shift work and, and I would work overnights, had nothing to do at, where, at the job I was at. So I just started writing there, submitting to different publications. And, and, and next thing you know, they're, they're accepting it. And so, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what started me on my journey uh, and what got me to where I am now. So what else, obviously we're, we're going to get to your book. Um, but I take it you'd been published other places and had done other work. Yeah, I, uh, it was. It's been a quick journey. Um, I got uh, after I got out of radio and I started into another uh, career. I started submitting. It was only 2018, about three years ago. I started submitting to uh, No Depression, and then No Depression contacted me and said, well, we like your stuff. And we're going it, at the time you, anybody could submit to them. Uh, it was like an open forum type of thing, a certain part of their website. Um, and I'd been reading them since 95, you know, they were uh, the roots alt country uh, periodicals, but um, so I was a big fan of them. And then I, I just started submitting little reviews and stuff and, uh, so the next thing I know is they're contacting me saying, hey, we're going to go to, you know, only no, no, nobody can just post to our website anymore. We're just going to go strictly to a journalistic thing. And we'd like for you to join because we like what you've been writing. So I was like, whoa, you know, that was like yeah, the sure. ultimate validation, you know, and, and so uh, that gave me the confidence. I just started submitting to other places and, and, and uh, request, you know. Uh, wanting to join the team and pop matters felt the same way. So I joined them and, uh, and, and, and albumism, uh, Justin Chadwick stuff. He, he's, he does some great work and uh, Americana UK, same thing. Um, so yeah, I just started writing for all these guys folks and, and, and submitting reviews. I do interviews and features and things like that. Uh, and, and the bitter Southerner, that's another uh, thing I wrote for. Uh, okay. They were actually the first people to ever publish me. Uh, Chuck Reese uh, published my first little piece where I talked about Robert Johnson, Willie Nelson, Elvis Presley. Oh, uh, nice. And how they're intertwined. But um, yeah, so it was, it's just been a journey that's taken me many places over the last just three years. And, and, and um, it's probably something I couldn't have done before the internet, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. So, so uh, I want to, I'm going to ask you about John Hyatt, but just in um, 1980, I started dating uh, Linda, who 
I am married to now. She had a good friend named Jennifer, and Jennifer's boyfriend was Rick. And Rick loved John Hyatt. Mm-hmm. Slugline was just the eight track that he adored. And in fact, when him and Jennifer broke up, he showed up at Linda's house and give me back my Slugline eight track. And then they ended up getting back together. And so therefore, I, you know, I listened to Slugline. And it was interesting. And then we kind of stuck with it. And then like everyone else, when um, Bring the Family, he went to another level. So Rick died a few years ago and unexpected. He had a brain aneurysm and one of the last gifts he gave, he died in February on January 9th for my wife's um, birthday. He actually gave her a small MP3 player, you know, one of the iPod minis that had every John Hyatt album on it that gave her that he gave her that as a birthday present after Rick died, every time John would come to Dallas, I'd say, hey, do you want to go see him? And Linda goes, it's too soon. It's too soon. And so he was playing a solo acoustic show a few years ago, House of Blues. And Linda said, I think it's time. So we went and um, we cried a little. We enjoyed the show. You know, Linda said, I feel like Rick's sitting next to us. Yeah. And then so to celebrate my 60th birthday we actually drove down to austin he was playing at the paramount theater and we got to see him once again solo acoustic love him with a band but there is something he is a very good storyteller and a good musician of just him alone on stage if kiss was in high school i was obsessed with kiss in 1977 quickly discovered brian wilson the beach boys they were my first musical obsession discovered Springsteen and kind of saw him perform live the first time. And that put me into my ultimate, you know, and now I do a Springsteen podcast, but John Hyatt is someone that has been ever since 80 part of my musical life. I can remember wearing out the riding with the King cassette, you know, just, just loving this. And we've seen him multiple times. In fact, we got to meet him once right after Bring the Family. You know, he had recently, just recently gotten sober and we didn't know that. So, you know, Rick was like, hey, can we buy you a drink? No, I'm good. I'm good. You know, and uh, just so anyway, when that's why when I'm and I'm reading the book now, it is so insightful. It's have a little faith the John Hyatt story. So first off, thank you for telling the story of someone who's been such part of my life. So tell me how you discovered John and, and why a book of John? Yeah, uh, I was, uh, well, thank you. And that was a wonderful story. Um, and, 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 and I'm sorry for your loss and, and I understand I can empathize with that and, um, Wonderful, wonderful story. And and John does that to people. He'll bring them together and, and yeah. he'll, he'll definitely knock you out in, in concert. Uh, yeah. Like he has all the feels, as they say. Um, and uh, I was about 15 and I would listen. Like I said, I was in, uh, I just I almost had started in radio. I started in radio when I was 15, uh, about a month shy of my 16th birthday. But uh, before that, I was listening to the college radio station, WKNC in Raleigh, and they were in NC State, and they were playing uh, this song called Snake Charmer. And and I remember, um, you know, it was 85, so everything sounded really um, 
processed and 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 uh and slick and it was a lot of keyboards everywhere you know so i it, i was used to that I, I never liked it but um i i was like well this is just the way it is now all my all my heroes um with the exception of maybe springsteen except when dancing in dark came out the hell is this you know it was my <laughs> <laughs> no no not you bruce no um, but, <laughs> but it, then I warmed up to it. I was like, well, these lyrics are incredible. So, and, and, and I'm fine with it now, but, um, so I heard this, this real processed music coming out, but the, the, the singer, uh, knocked me out. He, I said, he's got a great voice, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's just, it sounded so, uh, mischievous and, and he had, um, uh, a real rasp and blues voice, uh, it sounded like a blues singer uh, singing over a, a, a really stiff rock beat. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I thought I got to remember this, this guy. And, and uh, I never really got his name uh, when I heard that song. Um, they were college station. They just, they, you know, they went off to play uh who's do after that. I don't know. And um, so, but it wasn't, uh, it, it was, it ended up being a, in a soundtrack to a movie uh, white nights. But then I got to uh, Taylor Hackford movie, as a matter of fact. But after that, I think it was, it wasn't Bring the Family, it was Slow Turning. Uh, I saw him, it was either on CMT or TNN. I don't even know if CMT was around then. But uh, the Nashville Network, I think they were playing a little video show. And, and, uh, and I think that's where I saw Slow Turning. It was either on that or, or VH1. But um, it wasn't MTV, so it's probably VH1. But I remember seeing that uh, video, and I thought, "Oh man, that's a that's a great voice uh, on this guy." And the music was much more organic, you know, and it's more down my alley. And uh, and then I, I can't remember when I did, but I realized that oh god, this is the guy that did Snake Charmer, because um, I think I found a single. I think that's what it was. I found a forty-five of Snake Charmer, and it had John Hyatt's name on it. I said, "Well, I'll be damned." No wonder I liked it. Um, and and so I went to find. I went to look for the album Slow Turning uh, on cassette, of course, because it was the eighties. And uh, I found Bring the Family. They didn't have Slow Turning at my local store. So I got to uh, bring the family and I said, well, this is this guy. And I saw the band was uh, Ry Cooter, Nick Lowe, Jim Keltner, all these names I knew. And I love Ry Cooter. So uh, I bought it and, and it just, you know, I never looked back uh, after that. It was, it was astonishing to me uh, that it's, it was, it was sure it was roots music. Like uh, I'd heard Mellencamp doing the type of thing, you know, and all stuff, but it was just, it was so raw and, and, and rocking. I didn't know at the time that it was an album recorded in four days and it was all live from the floor and all the vocals were live yeah. uh, with minimal rehearsal. I didn't know all that. All I know is it just sounded good. And then I realized it was like, Oh, this is the song that Bonnie Raitt did that thing called love song and, and uh, had a neat little bridge in the middle that she didn't do. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it, was, it was a cool little uh, surprise for me. And, and every song on it, was better than the one before it. It was just, it just kept coming. And, and by the end of it, I was exhausted. Now, keep in mind, I was 17 when, when I got that album and uh, I was just completely floored. And, and it was, it was not music for my, I look back and it's kind of silly to say, but it, I don't think it was music made for my generation. It was, it right. was, uh, it was music 
by a grown man singing about grown-up things. And he was, it, was, it was an album that celebrated monogamy, adulthood, um, and, 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 and facing it head on. It wasn't all just happy saccharine stuff, you know, because no. it had some really, really hard truths that you had to face, you know, stood up and, and, and uh, your dad did is real uh, snarky look at. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was lucky enough. He was playing at the Lakewood theater here in Dallas and I can't remember the tour now, but he did a long story in the middle of your dad did about watching the Beatles and his dad and, you know, and everything yeah. and going crazy. And um, it, it, it's a stretch, but I think in a little bit, that album is like Springsteen's Tunnel of Love, right? Like it is a grown up album. It is about relationships. It is about that. The same year. Yeah. 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 It is. Uh, yeah. Just an absolutely wonderful album. And so please continue. Yeah, it was, it, that was a good point. It's a good parallel to draw because uh, I think at that time, a lot of the people their age, because I think Springsteen and, and, and John are about the same age, if not almost exactly the same age. Um, maybe, maybe Springsteen's a little older. Um, and, and, but it's funny. Here's a little nerdy side point. Yeah. <laughs> um, we love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in learning how to love you, John says, I'm 34 years old now. And Springsteen on my hometown says I'm 30. Was it 35? Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, both of them say the age right around the same age. You know, it's just yes. you know, a few years apart. So, boy, well, I'm moving out on this podcast. I love it. <laughs> no, Hy Hyatt was born in 52, according to Wikipedia. Yep. And Springsteen was 49 just because I was born in 59, you know, and I gotcha. knew, you know, so yes, very close to the same age. Very close. Exactly. They had yeah. Very similar experiences. And, and uh, you know, he, of course, Springsteen had the New Jersey thing, but I grew up in, in the Midwest, uh, Indiana, yes. but they both had a, uh, you know, a difficult fathers. Um, yes. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a very similar thing. Of course, Hyatt is one of seven. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, he's got that Catholic background. Like yes. The, Just uh, like Springsteen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a lot of parallels between the two. There is. I'd never thought about it. Uh, stolen moments is if I have to be pushed, that's my favorite Hyatt CD. I just love, really? yeah, I just, just, I, you know, I love that CD and part of it is, because I had it on CD at my job and I, I had an office back then and um, I was writing reviews. And so I put in the CD, put it on repeat and I worked like three or four hours, like into the night, like, you know, like I told Linda, Hey, I've got to stay and write these reviews. So like from like six to 10, I just had that on repeat and just just did background music and also i just love the rest of the dream and and seven little indians and you know uh just a lot of so a lot of favorite albums a lot of great things but when i push to shove i think that would be my favorite cd my you favorite know, release I've, of his it's funny when i first heard stolen moments of real time i went and bought it and yeah uh, was disappointed uh because oh interesting after after the rawness of alone of um bring the family and uh so turning i thought stolen moments was rather slick and yeah. and it was 
it was all because they brought in Glenn Johns brought in a different uh, engineer from the previous two yeah. albums, and and it was just made it more radio friendly and pop friendly. Now I look back on it, and it's aged very well. It's aged more than I, better than I thought it would. Yeah. Uh, and I was listening back when I was writing this book, and I thought, well, I, I learned to relove that al- album. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I've always loved parts of it, like Real Fine Love, Seven Little Indians. Yeah. Uh, it, Several, seven Little Indians is, of course, autobiographical. It's probably yeah. his most nakedly autobiographical song. Absolutely. But, uh, it was it was more of a, it, it had a very Daniel Lanois feel to it. I was like, what in the world yeah. is going on here? <laughs> I love it, you know. Uh, but but the stuff like the the title track um, and and a couple of other pieces there, it took me a, a moment to get over there. Because Stolen Moments, the, the song is just straight up pop, you know. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, yeah um but but i really love i mean you can't argue with uh, through your hands one of his best written songs uh, ever yeah. and 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 things like that it's just uh and rest of the dream very pop too but uh yeah but it's i love the happiness it, yeah. it's very happy very happy yeah. he was very content at that time yeah um the so you're you're kind of going along with this tour and you know he is not a household name. No. Now, a lot of his songs are songs that people know, right? That, and, and I often have to say, well, you know, um, you know, well, you know, Bonnie Wright or, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, Roseanne Cash and, mm-hmm. and other people. Um, so, and I've recently over the past three years discovered Lily and um, and she has a unique voice and, and in her own way has is doing a really great career. Um, and I, I heard them interview, right. They, they did an interview together and he talked about how tough it was during this pandemic. He, you know, like, how do you as a young person get out there and, you know, cause she had a new CD, how do you promote it? So, uh, yeah, so you've discovered John and um, you're going on the journey. What led to a book? Um, well, when, uh, when, it, okay, let me think. Okay, so I was writing and submitting stuff to people. And yeah. then, I, I, like I said, I'm working the graveyard shift and, and, and just a lot of time to kill. Getting my job done, but it just wasn't much. Sure. To do. I understand. So uh, I see, uh, I read about, I do a lot of reading and research and I read about 33 and a third books. And I thought, okay, well, this is a, a series that takes an entire album and it, a, a book will just focus on one album. So they have many uh, books out and, and they have open calls for submissions once every couple or three years. And so it just so happened that one came up right around this time. And, and I was reading what they require for proposals. I'd never written a book proposal in my life. I didn't, I never even thought about writing a book. Uh, I was just writing these little reviews and then I thought, why not? Uh, Because I was a huge, bring the family's problem. One of my top five favorite albums of all time. So, and I noticed they had no John Hyatt and, and, and I thought, well, bring the family is just an amazing topic for a book. Cause yeah. Oh yeah. you could go into why he wrote these songs. You could go into what was going on in his life. You could go into each band member's life, career, which is amazing on their own. They each deserve a book. <laughs> and so um, 
I've sent a proposal in and they, uh, I didn't make it, you know? So I thought, oh, well, you know, so first, first time try it's it's okay. Um, but I thought I put all this work and effort into it. Why don't I shop it around to other places? So I started looking up, uh, other publishers by, publishers of, of books. I was just looking at books that I really loved reading recently. Yeah. And, and, uh, the Guy Clark book I loved. Uh, and so I looked, uh, I sent it to their publisher. I love the, um, Oh, Delbert McClinton book. I sent it to their publisher. Might've been the same one. I can't remember, but, um, I know I sent it to the university of Texas and Texas A&M I sent it to those two guys and they, um, they got back with me and said that they're considering it and they appreciate me getting it. So I at least had a, um, a response from them. And then right. the third, I was reading, I was in the middle of reading a, a Robert Johnson book by D.L. Dean Wardlow and Bruce Conforth uh, of Jump the Devil. And it was uh, from Chicago Review Press. So I thought, well, this is a great book. And then I looked that Stanley Booth had, had been, uh, they had put some books out by him and he had written, including the uh, True Adventures of the Rolling Stones, which is like, uh, an, uh, a bible of rolling stone stuff and i love okay. stones so i uh i said okay let me try them and within five minutes after i sent an inquiry their editor got back with me and said hey we're interested let's see a proposal and and my wife and i were sitting at the table i said is this real is this happening so then i had to go and look at their submission guidelines and and rewrite my proposal uh, and sent it to them within a, two weeks or so. She said, "We're we're a go. We want you to write a not only a, a bring the family. We think you know we should do a full biography of him." And I said, "Okay, that's fine with me." Wow. <laughs> but then after I said, "Okay," then I panicked. I thought, "Oh no, I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk to him." Uh, I was ready to write a book without his approval, but yeah. Uh, or, or without his participation, I mean, but uh, I didn't want to, I would rather right. have his participation. So um, Darren started the journey of, of trying to get people to talk to, because I, I, I know that biographies are written all the time without participation of the, the subject, but I would rather read. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And so um, I've read some great ones where they didn't participate, but more often than not, if they participate, but yeah. so uh and, and it just worked out where more and more people started talking to me simply because nobody had written a book about him before. And which, which floored me. I kept looking around for, uh, any, any, anything written by about him, but, uh, book wise, but no, it's just music books, song books, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, I said, okay, well, and so I started asking around his outer circle of people and then, uh, they started saying, yeah, it's about time somebody wrote a book about him. And, and, and uh, you know, some people were a little standoffish and like, does he have, is this authorized? And I'm like, well, I'm working on that. I'm good. But I didn't want an authorized biography, so to speak, because I, I didn't want it to look like it was just a sycophant writing about it. You know, right. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want it to be a hagiography or anything like that. I, I just wanted it to uh, I wanted to tell a true story and wanted it to be raw because he, yeah. he, he had a tragic life, but, um, and it's one of resilience and, 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 uh, and, and overcoming all these things though. And so one Sunday morning, I'm laying in bed with my wife. We had just woke up. We we're having a coffee and it was like eight o'clock Eastern time. 
I get an email from uh, his manager saying, I manage John Hyatt. I hear you're writing a book about my client. Tell me more. And I looked at my wife and I thought, and I said, honey, this man, it's seven o'clock Nashville time. Yeah. And he, he's earning his money. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I start, I crafted an email and I just basically sold the idea saying that I would love to have John participate because I believe in his story. It's one of resilience. It's one uh, where he overcame so much tragedy to not only survive, but to thrive. And he became artistically superior to anything else he had done before after he cleaned up and after all this tragedy had happened. And so I thought that's the story that needs to be told because so often we we glamorize the um, decadence and, and, and the hedonistic lifestyle of rock and roll, but we seem to just not pay any attention to it after somebody goes through all that and cleans up and then still has plenty to say. Not yeah. only that, but says it better than they ever did before. And that's right. exactly what he does. And that's, and, and it needed to be told. It needed to be told that I believe that, you know, true, rebellion and uh, you know rock and roll is shaped by re- rebellion but the true rebellion when you're in that field is to say no is to say i'm not gonna get drunk and fall off the stage you yeah. Know? yeah i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna do this complete and sober and it's gonna i'm gonna feel what i'm singing because you could, you know people could say what they want but if you're because i was there i've been there i've if if you're I've, I've sang in cover bands and things like that for many years. And if I, and I drank and I was a, and I was an alcoholic. Uh, I was one of the binge drinker types, you know, I wasn't a daily alcoholic like John was. I was, uh, 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 once you, once I start, you know, I, I couldn't stand up after one until 20 had me down on the floor. That was basically yeah. me. And, and, uh, as he sings, but, um, that I knew that standing on the stage clean and sober and feeling everything you're singing that takes a lot more guts than than just um you know being drunk and and uh and trying to hide and run away from your problems by uh drowning it in alcohol or drugs you know so um but i i think that's a story worth telling and so thankfully they agreed and that's that's where we are yeah you know because i'm thinking of jason isbel Mm -hmm. who is very vocal about his sobriety and in fact you know in the one of his latest albums right it gets easier but it's not easy or you know I'm missing yeah, the title great, up, but it yeah. a great great song talking about you know his addiction and how it it's it it's always there and um i've i've never had a substance abuse problem but i have um, struggled with my weight my whole life. And, and, you know, and so that, and, and I think we all have our own demons oh, that yeah. you can talk about that. And I do think it is, it, it's an amazing story, the tragedy they had. I just recently listened to, um, I knew I was going to talk to you. And so I did a search for John Hyatt podcasts and he was interviewing a couple of years ago, or maybe last year, and he talked about how his addiction saved him as a child, yet he he had to then move past it, right? It helped him lose weight. It helped him do this, which yeah. I thought was fascinating because I'd never heard anyone be thankful for the drugs and alcohol, That's right. then understanding that 
then they served a purpose at the time and then I needed to let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take it you got to visit with him. Was it through emails? Did you get to spend time? Talk to me a little bit about um, that. The funny thing is after I spoke with his manager and we set up a time, he said, okay, John will do, John will speak with you. And, and that yeah. was like one of the biggest moments of my life. I'm like, wow, I can't believe it. Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd gotten to interview many people on my radio career, but it was, it's one yeah. thing to be interviewed through radio. Uh, yeah. you know, the station is doing it and you're, you're, yeah. you're representing the station. It's another thing. It's, 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 it's freaking you, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like what? So, um, but I, uh, he said, let's set up a time in March. This was in January of 2020. He said, let's yeah. set up a time in March. We're going to, you can fly out here to Nashville or some meet with him, you know, and hang out and, and, and we'll talk. Well, dun, dun, dun. Happened. based yeah. on that timeline, I can almost write That's the rest right. of this story. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that just, it, it, it shut everything down everywhere. So, you know, I, I, my little problem was, oh, poor thing you can't fly out to nashville and talk to one of your idols right <laughs> so i i took it in stride but at the same time i was a little disappointed and sure uh, of course but and then uh hyatt um it was a few months went by but i i you know i kept talking to other people in his circle and um yeah. then he finally got up with me and we talked by phone and uh we got um we ended up having long conversations over the phone and that's what formed his part of the book, you know? Uh, and, and the thing that really struck me from the beginning when he started talking to me was how he was, uh, how open he was and how happy and, um, I'm sorry, hang on one second. Sure. Uh, that was my wife. Okay. Hey. <laughs> um, the one thing that struck me was that he was, uh, he was so open and so um, forthcoming about his life. Uh, and, and he had been, <clears throat> he'd notoriously been private most of his life when in interviews, he, he would give, he had a little, uh, he had his talking points and he would go over, from and and if you listen to a lot of his interviews back then or before uh the last uh before this book it's it's it all starts sounding the same and it's like okay i know where he's going with this i know what story he's telling you know and all uh-huh. uh but so i knew what not to ask him because i knew all that stuff already you yeah know? and so i was going into a little deeper and he started going in deeper with me and and uh he went way deep and I thought, Oh my, okay, we're going here. And, um, you know, he had never talked about his abuse before. I don't believe. And, and, uh, from his brother. And, and so that was a, a huge eye opening moment and, and it put everything, so many things in context. And it's interesting. You mentioned about that, about what he said about it, alcohol. Cause yeah, it did save his life to begin with. And, and it's just, it shows the, um, the complexity of, of the human condition because yes. the whole thing is black and white. You know, there's so yeah. much gray and there's so much nuance. Um, you know, you, one can say, well, drugs are bad, you know, or, or alcohol is bad, but you know, they, as you said, uh, they, they serve their purpose when they, they yeah. were there when he needed it to be. Um, but 
and he had he had the struggles with the weight, you know, is just like yeah. he, he and his dad uh, as well. His whole family, he said, were, were right. overweight uh, to an extent. But um, which is hard to, you know, he's so thin now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. Know, when you see him, yeah. he is just such a thin. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was it was a girl that made him <laughs> lose it. But it's one thing. It's, it's it's you know it's one thing to lose it. It's another thing to keep it off. Yes. And, and, so throughout his life, he is just uh, when he sets his mind to it, I guess, like like a lot of us are, if you set your mind to it, maybe yeah, uh, sometimes it'll work out. Um, but uh, he has an amazing willpower uh, that that he has exhibited over and over again. Uh, and, and the stuff he's been through with him, not only that, uh, his brother killed himself, you know, uh, when John was 11 and he was just, you know, 10 years older, uh, roughly. And then, uh, he, he lost his second wife, his strange second wife to, to suicide. Yeah. Um, so he's got a lot of that baggage that he carries with him, but it, it, you know, it just makes you who you are and, and, and his lyrics, uh, are, and his music is more, all the more powerful because of that. Um, I, I believe it, it he, he is somebody that is a sympathetic uh, character because people can relate and people can also know that, well, he's been through this, he's done this and that, and we yeah. can, it, it, it makes his music just deeper, just, just, and, and I, and it's such, yeah, you talked earlier about, you don't hear him on the radio much. He's not his household name, but his songs are, his songs speak to many people. Yes, they do. His, his voice for whatever reason, it could be, you know, some, he, he would blame a record company uh, disinterest for early on and yeah. but other, you know, he's got one of those voices. That's not, you know, it's not a um, uh, pretty boy voice or anything like that. No. You know, it's going to be, it's, it's a little rough around the edges. So um, he's not for everybody, but, but his songs are. One of my favorite stories is early um, my wife, Linda, has a friend, um, Lisa, who just, in fact, Lisa is the first person I ever heard talk about Bruce Springsteen. She had gone to school on the East Coast, and she had come back to Lake Charles, Louisiana. This is around like 79, 80. And she was mm-hmm. uh, was talking about this guy, Bruce Springsteen, that she was hearing about because she was going to school up the East Coast. But um, my... Um, my wife is talking to her and says, yeah, you know, this Elvis Costello guy sounds a lot like John Hyatt. And Lisa's <laughs> like, no, no, no. John Hyatt sounds like Elvis Costello. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I wonder, like, it just on a side note, right? Like, you know, uh, Memphis in the meantime, wonderful song has a line. I don't believe Ronnie Millsap's ever going to sing this, record this song. And then Ronnie Millsap did record it, you know? (laughs) And, and I wonder if just John thought of that and just smiled, just, just cracked him up. And now then, you know, he changes which musician is not going to do the song. Right, uh, it's, right. a, you know, a, another favorite story of mine is when he was at Lakewood and he had played in Houston the night before. And he says there were, um, there were astronauts from NASA at the show. And they had said they played blue telescope up on the space station. 
he said, and I got all excited and I forgot to play it for him last night. So I'm going to play it for you guys tonight saying that this is for the guys in Houston. Uh, so I think he has a very um, passionate, loyal fan base. And, uh, and I'd love to hear if you can have anything about this, but I remember Lily, his daughter, talking about that she's more bitter than he is that he's never won a Grammy. Like that mm. angers her. And he's like, eh. You know, it yeah. just, he, yeah, yeah. He, you know, he almost feels like, and maybe you can tell me, he feels like, uh, you know, I had a good career. I, I, I've, I've gotten to sing music for a living and it's, you know, it's all good. I think it's his, I think it's where he is in life now, because I think that's why he decided to open up. I mean, who am I? Why did he, why did yeah. he decide to open up? Uh, I think it's because it's where he is now and he's accepted who he is, where he is, and he is no longer, um, you know, I think it was Rosemary Clooney who said one time, you know, I don't um, it, it, it sing like you have nothing else to prove, you know. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you just great line. Yeah. You just you don't don't try so hard. It's just. Yeah. And that's where he is now. And that's he's accepted it. And I think that. um yeah, he's nominated for a Grammy coming up this year with uh, leftover feelings. He and Jerry. So, so I've got my fingers crossed. Oh yes, me too. And I'm sure that um, in the eighties uh, he, he would have loved and lapped up all the uh, accolades he could get. And I know it was frustrating. The man was dropped from three labels before he yes. ever uh, made bring the family and he had nothing, uh, at that point, no label, no, uh, yeah. uh he only had Lily uh, before he, he yeah. had an but, um, so there, there, I'm sure he would have loved the attention then, but now, you know, you get to a point where you, you're not, you realize you're not going to be a billboard top 10 artist right. and, and, uh, at, at 69, 70 years old, um, he'll be 70 this coming year, but, he, so he, he's not going to hit that mark, but he is artistically respected and critically acclaimed and all that. He is, he's made it to that summit. And, and uh, so that's, that's, I think that is probably more satisfying because that's more long lasting than. than uh, yeah. Like, I know like as a fan, I was sad that uh, Springsteen's letter to you did not get nominated for a Grammy. I, th I think he could care less, but, you know, as a fan, I hated, I said, there's another world where that his version at Western stars, you know, the film, he did a cover of rhinestone cowboy in another world, another time, Bruce Springsteen seeing rhinestone cowboy would have hit the country charts. Yep. Right. But yep. it's, it, that's not the world of our radio nowadays. No. Um, no, no, no. And it just, he, they're okay with that. Um, I am, I am surprised that Bruce and John never connected and did anything together, but you tell a story very early in the book about the stone pony. Do you remember the story? <laughs> it was, it was, uh, that's the closest um, he ever came to. Yeah. Uh, to doing a duet yes <laughs> well he walked into um i think it was the bottom line he walked into right. uh, the uh the bar and john and white limbo were playing um and this was around the time of slug line two bit monster and he and howie epstein was uh, i believe that was when he was playing bass for him and he was doing a version of uh, fight the power uh the Isley brothers song 
And uh, Denny Bruce, one of the most colorful guys I talked to in the book, um, was his manager and producer at the time. And he was uh, standing there and Bruce comes walking through the club and just kind of pushes his way through everybody, you know, to get to the dressing room. And, and Denny reaches out his hand saying, hey, Bruce. And uh, he just walks right by him, you know, and, 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 and shuts the door. Um, you know, people had stuff on their mind, you know, and, and plus he's the boss. What are you going to say? Yeah. So, uh, and, and Denny said, I was a little, um, disappointed, but lo and behold, um, a few days later, uh, Stephen, uh, T who, Tetch, who was, uh, his guitar player at the time was walking down the boardwalk with, um, uh, a member of, uh, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Dukes and, he said, um, he said, Hey, uh, the boss, uh, the, the guitarist for Southside Johnny said, uh, the boss really dug y'all's version of, uh, fight the power the other night, you know? So he, he was apparently in the dressing room listening and, uh, caught his attention. So that's, that's some good validation right there, you know? Yeah. Now, <laughs> according to the internet, which, you know, is never wrong. Um, <laughs> November 2nd, 2014, or 211 2014 supposedly John did Bruce did slow turning for a sound check in Adelaide but oh, there is okay. no there is no recording of it um you know that during the sound check before Adelaide Australia he played that and then John uh John did do a version of Johnny 99 from yes. Springsteen's Nebraska That's which right. I, I think he did a really good version of it which is it's a really good Springsteen song for him to do. It fits his style. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's funny, and I might get a little heat from this, but I, I'm not a big fan of, of uh, John's cover versions of songs. I mean, yeah. I, I love some of them, but I yeah. think he is much more powerful when he's doing his own stuff. And Yeah, I agree with that. And I think because now he did a great version of a, a Bottle Rocket song, Welfare Music, which I think he, he did a fantastic yeah. version. Uh, he did a pretty good version of, of Curtis Lowe, uh, the, the Skinner song with Mo, but uh, it wasn't, you know, it's not something I would ever want to listen to uh, out of pleasure again. You know, it's just. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, and it was, you know, the when Bruce was on the American movie classics or TNTR classics, right, he. He did an introduction for the searchers and a couple, another movie. And the guy asked them, why have you never done, you know, like a, a covers album or a, you know, a standards. And Bruce said, I don't have that good of a voice. He said, mm -hmm. my talent is coming from writing. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and I know that I would love to hear John do versions of stuff, but, you know, I'd love to hear Bruce do it, but, you know, it is, unique perspective and you know i going back to success you know um i have we ever counted how many people did a cover of have a little faith in me yeah. I mean, you know i mean just i don't know if you can dozens at least i mean it's just become yeah. a modern standard but yeah and i think going back to that i think john is so expressive and his voice is so expressive yeah. singing his own words and, yes um it, it's just he doesn't it doesn't come off as he's feeling the other people's stuff it comes yeah, off I like agree. He's, 
it's kind of like you know music karaokeing it and and you know and and i love his voice but it just it's better suited to his own material um yeah. and, and and have a little faith i mean no matter who does it he he nobody can touch his version you know and oh absolutely um even the great joe cocker you know it's yeah. he, he did he did a great ver- version but doesn't have that soul that Hyatt put into it when um two stories about that um the first time we saw him he was at a little club in um Ellen's Redo in Dallas Texas and it was you know he by himself he had a piano and a guitar and it was a very small crowd that was the one where we met him afterwards and um at the time I had been laid off from my job one of many times I'd been laid off and I was, um, I was throwing papers in the morning to try to make extra money. And, um, and he started doing have a little faith in me. And I started crying because the idea, you know, and Linda and I at the time had been married probably five years. And I'm like, you know, am I disappointing her? You know, gosh, I, you know, I haven't, being able to keep a job and I'm, I'm having to do all this and just the the whole when he starts on that the end where he's like you know doing the end of have a little faith in me where he, he extends it just brought me to tears um and truly a great song the other moment is um earlier this year I had a, f- a friend on who is a huge uh, Aaron Sorkin fan just like me and we each picked our top five musical moments from Aaron Sorkin shows. And I picked Studio 60, one of them, when they played to Have a Little Faith on Me with that montage. And yeah. was such a surprise that, you know, oh, my gosh, they're, they're doing Hyatt. And it's <laughs> such a wonderful place. Yeah. Um, is there anything that didn't make the book that you wish you could have? Oh, there's, there's plenty. Um, yeah. You know, uh, regrets. I've had a few, but uh, yeah, I, I wish I had. Um, I wish I had. Yeah, this is just shock yeah. talk. I wish I had, had thrown a few more pictures in there that I'd gotten. Yeah. A, uh, uh, but I just didn't have time. This yeah. this is a. Uh, it's this came about quickly, and and uh, I wrote, I talked, uh, interviewed people, and wrote it down, and and I did at the time. I was like, I don't really care about putting pictures in there, you know, I, I, and, but I did attempt and Denny was, Denny Bruce was wonderful at, at uh, getting me pictures. And I got a few from uh, Gary yeah. Rosenberg and, and uh, uh, David McClister and, and Jack Spencer did great cover work. Um, but uh, I, I just didn't, that, I really regret not asking. I felt my confidence was just, I was, I had talked to John so much and, and he had opened up so much. I felt bad about asking him for anything else, but yeah. I remember thinking, I wish I would have asked him or Nancy, who was wonderful to talk to, uh, for some pictures, uh, old family pictures or something, you know, but yeah, I was a little shy then, but by, by, by that time, that's what has, um, and, but I think is, I, I don't know. Uh, other than that, I think i I pretty much covered everything I was, I was planning to cover. Do you know if he's read the book? Yes, I do know. <laughs> and? I do know because uh, while it wasn't authorized, uh, 
his manager said, you know, John would like to see the book before you send it out. He said not, and he made it sure to say not to change anything of any, just to make sure, you know, fact check, you know, and and I thought, well, that's fair enough. But I'll tell you what, that was the longest weekend I've ever had. (laughs) I sent it off on a, here's my tactic. I I sent it off on a late Thursday afternoon saying uh, the deadline was like Monday. And I said, uh, you know, could we have this back on uh, Sunday evening? And uh, so hopefully he'll skim through it and not. (laughs) <laughs> and Sunday afternoon, I got an email and my wife said, let me read it. And uh, from his manager and she said, and it was just one sentence because that's the way his manager talks. He's a great guy, but he's, he's very curt and to the point. Yeah. <laughs> he said, uh, uh, book's good to go. <laughs> so that's um, nice. yeah, that's, uh, and it was like a huge weight lifted off of me. But uh, um, so yeah, he's, is not only that, but he's been signing it at his shows. He's got it for sale at the merch table. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, he, he took it on tour with him. And, and as a matter of fact, they ordered more. So <laughs> that is nice. That's yeah. got to feel good. It does. It does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the book is actually slated for a, a reprint, a second printing. It's coming out and uh, the paperback is coming out next uh, next fall of 2022 okay. uh so that's that's good news too so it's been doing very well good uh, i hope that it is spread you know it's it's funny you said earlier i've had to talk to my when i talked to my family and friends you know i said uh yeah you wrote a book and i said yeah and it's, it's a biography of who and i just hold my breath and john hyatt and they go who <laughs> so bonnie rate think i love yeah, oh, yes exactly yes one. Yeah, Angel Eyes, Jeff Heliband. And yeah. uh, then I have to go into, he's written for Paula Abdul and Iggy Pop, you know, and they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great cover. Uh, where did you get the photo from the, for the cover? Um, um, Spencer, Jack Spencer. Um, he sent a few pictures to me. Uh, I asked him if he had any, and he had taken pictures of, of, uh, Hyatt for the Mystic Pinball album and okay. uh, and the Open Road album uh, and a few others and one the one I chose there uh, he had his hands folded and it was a previously unreleased photo from the Mystic Pinball uh, cover and I thought oh my God he's holding his hands like you know he's, like he's praying. Praying. yeah and so I said I want this to be the cover I sent it to my publisher and um, they they agree they said well hey this this looks good enough to be a cover and and uh then the back cover um david mcclister uh that was the actual photo that was on the back of cover of the eclipse sessions and um and and i love that and i said this should be the back cover and they agreed so it was like you know i and the more i read about first-time authors or just authors in general said they usually yeah. don't have much to do with the artwork of the album yeah and, I was very uh, fortunate to be able to pick the front and back cover here. Um, and so, so, and, and then a big, uh, a boon to everything was Elvis Costello. Well, that was my next question. I first off, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, are you okay on time? Yeah, I'm okay right now. Just a few more okay. minutes. Okay. That's good. Um, so once again, have a little faith The John Hyatt story, Michael Elliott, the Elvis Costello did the forward. How did that happen? um luck but (laughs) luck yes i I sent 
I, I was thinking about, you know, after after a while, you get all these people in, on board. After John got on board, you know, I, I talked to people yeah. from his outer circle. But after he got on board, it was like Katie bar the door. It was uh, yeah. uh, the, everybody started participating. People had said no. I only had one or two that turned me down to begin with, but they came back and I said, OK, we'll do it. Um, I did have a couple of guys that that turned me down altogether. Um, but, you know heck with them um <laughs> yeah uh but they no i love them still but I, I don't want to put them on the spot here but um i still love them and but but i thought well uh after i got everybody done and the book written and it was submitted um i believe it was submitted yeah 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 uh i thought why don't i try to get um somebody who who would i get to write the forward you know and i'm getting brave at this point because he sure <laughs> and and so i said why don't i try elvis costello because uh he had hired such a long history together and their right. careers have paralleled so much and and um and i thought it would be hilarious really in in a in a none in it, it kind of just in a subtle way and yeah. sure enough, i sent an email to his management asking him and of course i you know you gotta go through the whole spiel of who's participating yeah. already and uh management got back with me and they said this is just how how fate works he said they said his mom he said you have to, we'll ask him uh but his mom just died uh, mm. yesterday she was 99 and I thought, Oh my God, of all the terrible timing. I said, yeah. and I felt terrible, but they said, no, no, no. We'll just, you know, just, uh, just, let, just letting you know, it'll be a little bit, you know? Yeah. So I didn't put anything in it, but a few weeks later, they said, uh, Elvis has written a beautiful forward for you. And he's, uh, in the editing process right now. And he, and, and I was floored and I don't know if it was because, was feeling sentimental uh, uh and if that had just got him at the right time i don't know i yeah. but i him for it he was he wrote a beautiful beautiful it forward. is a beautiful introduction yeah. yeah um what's next um well you know i got a few irons in the fire and i really can't say because i okay. haven't i understand I, I don't yeah i don't really know exactly which way to go there are a couple of of, of really exciting things that i have that uh but i don't know okay. which which way to go so okay. that's good i've got options right now but uh okay I'll, i will keep you informed yeah <laughs> um where john hyatt i have a little faith a john hyatt story where's the where i assume available everywhere uh books are sold that's right everywhere you want to get a book you can, okay. you can order good. it uh, it's have a little faith, the John Hyatt story, and you can, uh, you know, I, I suggest going to your local bookstore. Absolutely. Uh, you can, they'll, they'll order it for you. Supply chain being as it is, you know, it might yeah. take a little while, but, uh, it's available at the big box places too. So, okay, yeah. good. All right. Um, I'm not going to keep you long, but I do have to ask you the Mary question. So this is how I end every episode. Um, so for those of you who've stuck around, uh, here's your little Bruce Springsteen uh, topic. Uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher. He just recently retired and um, he would spend two days with his honors English class um, breaking apart the song Thunder Road 
as a poem. They would go through all the imagery. They would talk about the themes Bruce uh, used, would compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, and other poems. And at the end of the two days, he asks his class, does Mary get in the car? So Michael, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Well, first thing is, uh, school is a lot more exciting than it was when I was there. <laughs> yes. Uh, Isn't that a great teacher? Wouldn't that, I mean, just, I just, book. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So first off, I, I love the idea. I've always loved the idea of that song just as it is. And, and yes. I love the idea of the ambiguity at the end. You don't know whether she gets in the car. And that's what I love about it. I love the ending of The Sopranos. You know, I love yes, the way exactly didn't know what happened. So right. I like things to remain unanswered. That being said. And by the way, that is a valid answer. If that's where you want to go, if you want to say, <laughs> I don't want to know, it just I think it's up to you. know, It's like the lady and the tiger. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, but but that being said, I will say okay. that. I, I've always looked at Thunder Road as being the opening to a, 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 a fantastically classic album that's all about movement, and it's called Born to Run. You know, it's a, yeah. through the whole through the whole album. He's going through different phases. Now, it's not really a concept album, but it it is. I, I see that character throughout that whole album. Yes. So I look at it as they are leaving. Uh, they're pulling out of here to win. You know, and and so they're leaving that town. They're born to run. Yes, Mary gets in the car because she they're on they start their journey with that song throughout the rest of the album. Very nice. There you go. That's my answer. <laughs> All right. And so one last thing. Um, two things. Anytime I hear someone says I'm from Indiana, I said, did you leave in the back of a pickup truck? <laughs> and. I could, when Charlie Watts died, I could not keep thinking of banging the, like the kids in the back seat banging like Charlie Watts. That's right. I mean, that's all I could think of. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, certainly the loss and everything, but just, um, he has just been a wonderful musical. He has been someone who has been in my life, and I am so glad that someone took the time to write it. As I told you before we started recording, I'm up to um, two-bit monsters in the book, so I've gone through a lot of it. I am enjoying the book. I urge all my listeners to go, whether you go to the local bookstore, you go to your online retailer, um, get it and enjoy it. It will make a wonderful Christmas present. Um, thank you, Michael. Whatever you're going to do, please keep me in mind. And hey, if you want to join me and we do a whole Springsteen episode, you can do that too, if you want. You no, know, I was saying I love I love Springsteen. Well, as you could tell already, I've yeah. I love Springsteen, and we could do that. And I, you know, keep me in mind. And, and I uh, sure will. Okay. Yeah. All right, listeners, you please go get vaccinated. Stay safe. Remember to wear your mask. Remember to wash your hands. Let's all be good to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through this. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, listeners. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Seth Lessing Bruce has a Patreon page where you can offer to donate anything from a dollar a month up to whatever amount you want. Thanks to the wonderful people who support the podcast through Patreon, I'm able to cover the cost of the Zoom recordings and the hosting of the podcast, putting it out, things like that. So thank you to Holly Mac. Steve Rogers, Dale Hosack, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, 
Mary Thomas, Alex Samolta, Andrew Goddard, Betsy Hodges, Levi Petrie, Stephen Malio. Each of you are my Springsteen siblings. You are my angels, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you for all your support and love. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.